Hello everyone, my name is Taylor. I'm here to read the Bible, uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 27 to 32. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered, answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So why, so why should our neighborhood matters? Well, in a nutshell, because Jesus didn't come to save those who are good. Jesus came to save those who need him, uh, who acknowledges that they need him. Uh, so welcome again to Epping Presbyterian Church, uh, and where we are asking the question, why should our neighborhood matter to us? Uh, my name is Josh. I'm married to Valerie. We have two teenagers. So they're both up there. Uh, and we moved to this neighborhood. Uh, and again, so for us, it's an intentional thing to want to get to know it uh, and to find out what is God doing here so that we might participate uh, in it. Uh, the neighborhood matters to God. Uh, it should matter to the church because the church does not exist for itself. The church exists for the sake of others. Jesus came to save the, lay, the, the lost and the sinner. Now we're looking at a passage tonight where uh, if you look at it, Jesus is painted as one of the most controversial, uh, perhaps subversive person uh, in the history of mankind. Uh, Jesus is calling Levi or Matthew, the same person, uh, to be his disciples. And why did it create such an uproar among the religious authorities? I want to summarize the passage under three headings. Uh, first of all, what is the problem? Uh, because I want to kind of keep to the medical analogy. I say, what is the presenting problem? Right? What is on the surface the issues that are coming up? What is the pathology? We delve a little bit deeper at what, what are the causes? Right? What, what's happening systemically? And then finally, we want to finish with a look at the, physici uh, the physician himself, the doctor. Uh, so I'm going to lead us in prayer again. Uh, and just while we're talking about prayer, thanks, Richard. That was a great reminder that we often don't praise God. Uh, we, we should do that more often. And the Psalms are great passages to do that. Uh, it, it has so much in it, the Psalms. Uh, let's pray so that because as we listen to God's word, God's word is like a mirror, right? It reflects our heart. Sometimes we hear a sermon, we think that the sermon is meant for someone else, right? Or so-and-so should hear this sermon, it's good for them. Um, actually, i like us to hear the sermon for, myself, for yourself, and I'm preaching this sermon to myself, uh, that I might respond to God. In particular, i like us to think about, you know, for some of us, you know, we, we kind of, we may not think that we are needy. I'm okay, I come to church, I read my Bible. Uh, God, God should, you know, God should save me, because I'm good enough. 
There are others, on the other hand, who say, I'm not good enough for God. God doesn't want to care. God doesn't care for me. God is not interested in me. Maybe I'm not interested in God either. Either way, let's pray that tonight we might see Jesus as the song that we've sung said, show us Jesus Christ. Uh, Father, your word again is living and active, and it's not just the words that I speak, but the words that are from Scripture. The person that we encounter in history are being described and recorded for us uh, in, in the Gospels. And Father, we are aware you know, intimately that as we read these words again, these words come alive because they are your word. And so help us enter into that scene, into that storyline, that we might both see you and see ourselves. We, see, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so what is the problem? Well, essentially the problem arose because Jesus chose to be with the tax collector. Uh, what's wrong with tax collection? Uh, maybe it's about the fact that we, nobody likes paying taxes. Uh, we, like, we hate it as much as we hate death. Uh, but it, it's more than that. Uh, Jesus himself had no problem with us paying taxes. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Uh, so that's not the issue. Jesus has no problem with authorities. We obey them. All right? So that's, that's okay. Um, the problem, I think, is social, political, and economic. Right? It's, it has to do with class system. It has to do with politics. Uh, in order to understand why when Jesus called the Levites and being he ate with the tax collector, why it caused such an uproar, why it was so controversial, we really need to think about well, what the tax collectors were doing. Um, so this is what's going on at that time. Uh, Jerusalem or Judea was under Rome. Right? It was conquered. It had no right of its own. Uh, there was a sovereign power that was oppressing it, dictating what it can and can't do. Uh, and there had been conflicts in the history uh, of that period. Uh, those of you who know your history will know that there's been frequent uh, uprising insurrections uh, in that period. Uh, Rome wasn't very, very well-liked by the people uh, because it was a pagan nation. Uh, Rome imposed taxes uh, on people in Jerusalem. You know, travelers who are traveling need to pay tax for protection by Roman, uh, for, for Roman centurions, for the use of the road that uh, the Rome built. Uh, and the way that the Roman governors collect the taxes is not they collect it. They just kind of outsource it to an agent, right? So they use local people who have to beat for the right to collect taxes, right? So that's part of how Rome recouped the money. Uh, and so you beat for the, the right to collect these taxes. Of course, the person with the highest beat gets to do the job. And so at that point in time, Rome had already collected its money. Rome doesn't care what you do with it, whether you ch how much you charge, that's you know, in one sense, you decide. And so if you're a tax collector, you, you have to beat for the right to collect taxes. Uh, and then, of course, you've, you've already paid Rome what they wanted, which was often quite high. And then you got to pay to recoup your costs because you, you have to put in money uh, to, to be the highest bidder. Uh, and then, of course, you have to, you know, on top of that, add another layer so that you make money out of it. And the system is, uh, in one sense, is corrupt. All right. It really, you are at the mercy uh, of the person who is doing the tax collection. Uh, while we're here, uh, it, became, it, it became a hierarchy, a structure. So uh, you can ha there, there's a chief tax collector, Zacchaeus. Right? He, he, he runs, in one sense, a company of all these little agents. Right? So his profit is kind of 
really a lot because he just kind of takes us all the way up there. And so the tax collectors were hated because they were perceived as aligning with Rome. They were traitors. They were people who were corrupt. They were people who were sinners, people whom God will never, God wouldn't want to be associated with the tax collector. They, they clearly don't love God, his people, and his temple. And here is Jesus sitting and eating with a large crowd of them. Now, we must believe that this is intentional, right? Jesus didn't just kind of got invited and he couldn't say no. This is intentional because right at the beginning of our passage, it begins with this phrase, after this. The after this refers to the event that happened prior to this, this incident where Jesus was teaching and midway there was a, a paralyzed man came in and Jesus said, friends, your sins are forgiven. And that was the first uproar, right? The, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were in uproar because how can Jesus say such arrogant things? This is blaspheming because only God can forgive sin. Jesus is already claiming to be God or being like God. Um, and so Jesus here, after this, Jesus is intentionally calling Levi, therefore adding to the controversy the fact that Jesus is claiming uh, to forgive sin, that's part of the problem, right? Here Jesus is seen uh, in claiming to be able to forgive sin without going to the temple, without offering any sacrifices, without having to obey the law of Moses. Jesus is being seen as subverting that entire system. Jesus is being seen as threatening the traditions of the fathers and Moses. Uh, Eugene Peterson, who translated a version of the Bible called The Message, pretty good. Um, sometimes I kind of look at it and think about what, what is the context of that. Uh, but Eugene Peterson wrote a series of articles. This, this has been one of the, his key uh, theological thinking throughout his lifetime. He's still alive, by the way. Uh, so, you know, he, he, he thinks about the fact that, you know, actually Christianity itself is subversive. Jesus is subversive, right? And Christian ought to be subversive. You need to, be, you need to listen very carefully to what it means for us to be subversive. It doesn't mean we go on the street and protest and riots, uh, uh, you know, uh, and become antisocial, right? Jesus wasn't that sense subversive. To be subversive, the way that Eugene Peterson explained is to be apocalyptic. It is to live in one world and yet yearning and longing as if you know, the, the, the new world is coming. I think might explain that tension really well. So one of the tension that we face as a Christian, of course, is that we've been set apart. Set apart for what? For the new world, the new kingdom. And so you and I are part of the new kingdom already. And yet we are still here, right? We're called to minister to this world. And so there is already this tension. It's, it's apocalyptic because, you know, we, 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 we're subverting the world to, for the world to come. Our prayers are not to prosper just this world. Our prayers is so that people will be ready for the next world. And so Christians secretly pray for the new kingdom to come and replace and renew this, this world. That's why it is subversive. Jesus was subverting because he was already fulfilling the old kingdom, preparing the new kingdom to arrive. That's why praying is such a subversive activity. You know, every week we pray the Lord's Prayer. We pray, thy will be done on earth. 
your kingdom come. That's pretty subversive. That's saying that God's not happy with the way that we are. God's bringing in a new world. And it happens on the inside, slowly. But that change, that transformation. The church ultimately has to be subversive. Notice that Jesus didn't come with his political mind, with his mighty angels and came crushing down everyone who objected him. Jesus came as a servant. And so the way that we, we need to be subversive is by praying through our preaching and through our acts of sacrificial service for our neighbors. The problem was Jesus hanging out. The problem, that Jesus was, uh, the problem is that Jesus hanging out with sinners and saying that they can be forgiven if they put their trust in him subverts right, the, 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 king, the, or the, the established system. Let's move a little bit deeper. So that's the presenting problem. But in the context that we're seeing it, what we got to go to the pathology, uh, delve a little bit deeper to the root causes. We know that it is sin. Right? But the different groups of people have different aspects to the sin. Let's think a little bit uh, in, in those, uh, on, in those, for those categories. Now, in this passage, there are two most diverse groups of people, almost polar opposites. Right? One group of people couldn't care less about God and probably believed that God couldn't care less about them. Uh, for them, uh, the sin was perhaps exploiting the poor for their own gain. Dishonesty. But it's also maybe the sin is that believing in Satan's lie that God doesn't care about them because they couldn't care about God. On the other hand, there are those Pharisees and the experts of the law. Uh, their sin is quite different. They love God, right? Historian tells us that the Pharisees and the, the scribes, the teachers of the law, were, were considered heroes of that day. They, the, they were the ones who brought Judaism back, you know, from its kind of pagan, loose system, back to the law, back to loving God's word, the synagogue, and all of that. So from one perspective, they were doing the right thing. On the other hand, their sin, their problem, right, their hard attitude was that uh, they judge things by the exterior. They could look at one group of people and say God couldn't be interested in them. Can't be. God only cares for people who cares for him. That's the problem. they're They're quick to judge based on a certain standards not realizing that what God demands of repentance, God, what God demands is repentance in our hearts. And so at the end of the day, we might say both, group of pe- both groups of people need God. Both are sick, both were sick. They just need a God for different reasons. And then we have, that's why Jesus came as the physician, as the healer. So one who can see beyond just the presenting problem to the heart issue. Jesus says, you know, ah, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I have come to call, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. 
I want to close by just, you know, with two thoughts for you to, to kind of take home. Uh, the first one is, as a church, we need to pay attention to the apocalyptic. Uh, and again, I, what I meant was just that tension, right? The tension between the now and the not yet. We need to pay attention to the apocalypse because that's the reality uh, that is happening, the spiritual reality that we need to keep reminding ourselves. So last year we did um, Revelation. That's great, isn't it? We saw a picture of Jesus who is the judge king and the healer, the one who has the right to open the scroll and the one who ultimately comes and bring all things and make all things new. And if you remember, as we studied those passages, some of the most sad verses and sentences were the the ones that say the people were judged and they did not repent. That's the reality of the world. And so as a church, we, we live in that tension. We live in that gap. We're praying for the new kingdom to come. We're praying for our friends, our neighbors, our children, our relatives, our co-workers, don't give up just because they're not interested because God is doing something. Pray not just for them to be well, to be healthy. Pray for them to know God. Be aware of the apocalyptic. Yearn for the new kingdom. That is, you know, be subversive in that sense. Uh, Secondly, I think we need to just acknowledge that we're all sick. See, this passage confronts us by saying, you know, we we have a choice. If we insist that we don't have a problem, that's the problem. Rather, we should acknowledge our spiritual poverty. We may be materially rich, but spiritual richness is different. So acknowledge that we may have a problem and then believe that God is interested to hear from us. Let me pray. Our Father, as we kickstart this series, uh, Lord, we pray that we, uh, we will grow. Uh, change and transform our perspective that people might meet you through us that our good deeds might bring praises to you and we ask this in Jesus name Amen